cookie cutter in hand, we rush headlong into the world on a tear to make Christians just like us. But father and son corral the dizzying selection of servants, implanting each with a different word. Young Samuel began with the dark news of judgment about to be delivered against Eli. Nathaniel was given a brighter promise of greater things to come. Both were assured that the good Lord means business either way. Whoever we are, what matters is that we hear him when he calls. That skeptic or not, we respond to him from the integrity of our hearts. That joyful or jarring, we handle his precious word as something solemn and alive. We are a congregation who likes to experiment. You may not have known that you like to experiment, but uh, we are a congregation that experiments. Um, and that experiment continues this morning uh, in what I would call a conversation together around the texts uh, that uh, I'll be reading here in a moment. Um, so uh, if you think of the next block of time as an opportunity for some extended talk back, uh, that would probably be the best way for you to think about what we're going to uh, do this morning. Two passages of scripture to, uh, to frame our, our thoughts this morning. From 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Now the boy Samuel was serving the Lord under Eli. The Lord's word was rare at that time, and visions weren't widely known. One day Eli, whose eyes had grown so weak he was unable to see, was lying down in his room. God's lamp hadn't gone out yet, and Samuel was lying down in the Lord's temple where God's chest, the Ark of the Covenant, was. The Lord called out to Samuel, I'm here, he said. Samuel hurried to Eli and said, I'm, I'm here, you called me? I didn't call you, Eli rep replied. Go lie down, and he did. Again, the Lord called to Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, I'm here, you called me? I didn't call, my son, Eli replied. Go and lie down. Now Samuel didn't yet know the Lord, and the Lord's word hadn't yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. He got up and went to Eli and he said, I'm here. You called me? Then Eli realized that it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down where he had been. Then the Lord came and stood there, just as calling just as before, Samuel. Samuel. Samuel said, speak. Your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of all who hear it tingle. On that day, I will bring to pass against Eli everything I said about his household, every last bit of it. I told him that I would punish his family forever because of the wrongdoing he knew about, about how his sons were cursing God. But 
he wouldn't stop them. Because of that, I swore about Eli's household that his family wrongdoing will never be reconciled by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay there till morning, then opened the doors of the Lord's house. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli, but Samuel called Eli, saying, Samuel, my son, I'm here, Samuel said. What did he say to you, Eli asked. Don't hide anything from me. May God deal harshly with you, and worse still, if you hide from me a single word from everything he said to you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. He is the Lord, Eli said. He will do as he pleases. So Samuel grew up, and the Lord was with him, not allowing any of his words to fail. All of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was trustworthy as the Lord's prophet. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh through the Lord's own word. And from John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the Law and the Prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. Nathanael replied, Really? I didn't say really, but really? Can anything from Nazareth be good? Philip said, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said about him, Here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are God's son. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. I assure you that you will see heaven open and God's angels going up to heaven and down to earth with the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. These two stories come to us in the season of the church we call Epiphany. The time of revealing, the time of of making, unveiling, the time of seeing with fresh eyes, the time between celebrating the birth of Jesus, that wonderful time of Advent and Christmas when we have that warm glow in our hearts, and the time of Lent and the week of Passion where we Remember that Jesus' mission included dying for us. In between there, in a few weeks or in many, the season of the church is such that we create a space where we give ourselves a chance to once again unveil the good news, the gospel. We call it epiphany, the time of revealing. And these two stories one from the Old Testament, one from the Gospel, are the readings for 
this the second Sunday in the Epiphany season. And these are narratives that each in their own way contain two spiritual encounters full of God's gifts, full of surprises. The story in 1 Samuel 3 is a surprise call. There is, we discover, a scarcity of vision in Israel. God's not speaking to Israel. They're not seeing his word. We read that in verse 1. 1 Samuel is positioned differently in the Jewish canon than it is in the Christian canon. In the Jewish canon, it's the third book of prophets. Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel are the first three books of the prophets. And in that first book of the prophets in Joshua, you have the great story of of coming into the promised land and of Judges, the story of the cycle of disobedience and repentance and renewal and disobedience and repentance and renewal. And finally, the story of Samuel, the story where God's people had a, a leader who could speak to them about all of life, about their political life, about their social life, about their religious life, and Samuel does that. And so the, the uncertainties of entering the land and of beginning to live in the land together are to fade away in this transitional leader, the Samuel. And so we read the story of God's call on his life. But it's a surprise call because Samuel is a young boy at this time, probably 12 years old. And he's, he's the janitor. He's the live-in maintenance guy at the Ark of the Covenant. And in that live-in role, Eli, who ironically is no longer able to see, the high priest no longer able to see, like the people are no longer able to see God. There's a little bit of irony going on in the text here. This young boy begins to hear the voice of God. Now we... Postmoderns might think that maybe Samuel was a little off his rocker at that point if he's hearing the voice of God in the middle of the night. But he hears it. And we would think, oh, to hear the voice of God, it's all good, isn't it? Except it's not a particularly grace-filled message. Samuel, your benefactor, the guy that took you in, takes care of you, makes sure you have three squares... uh, a day and a cot to sleep in, I'm going to wipe out his family. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. (laughs) Uh, This is not happy talk. And Samuel's dread is palpable the next day. As Eli says, what did the voice say? Don't spare any detail. And so Samuel tells Eli of his coming judgment. And Eli, Eli doesn't get defensive. He doesn't, he doesn't renege. He just says, may it happen as God has said. His acceptance opens the door to Samuel's leadership in Israel, a leadership that will eventually usher in 
an age of kings, of David and Solomon, and of the creation of Israel as a great nation. The gospel story fast forwards to Jesus' time and is a unique account, and it's a unique account for several reasons. First of all, something's amiss. If you read John chapter 1, you read how Peter and Nathaniel become disciples and how Peter and Nathaniel's friends, sorry, uh, Philip and Nathaniel, and how Philip and Nathaniel's friends, Peter and Andrew and James and John, become disciples. Now, if you read the story of how Peter and Andrew and James and John become disciples in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you read about muscular, auspicious fishermen on the Sea of Galilee who Jesus calls to leave their nets and follow him. But if you read about their call in John's Gospel, they are religious seekers from Galilee in the desert of Judea following John the Baptist around, eating locusts and wild honey with him, no doubt. John places the story of the call of the disciples in a different environment than the synoptics do. Now, we 21st century literalists, we Western postmodernists who want the text to tell us the truth, our heads explode at this point. Well, which one is real? Where did it really happen? I don't know. Maybe what the Holy Spirit intends for us to know by having four different Gospels is it isn't so much where you come from when Jesus invites you to follow him. It's that you do follow him. That's what's important. I'm just guessing here. But I think that's got some merit to it. And so Peter and Andrew and James and John in the Judean wilderness, not at the Sea of Galilee in this gospel, say yes to Jesus. And the next day, Jesus invites two more Galilean expats, Philip and Nathaniel, to become followers. And Philip hears Jesus' invitation first, and he runs to his friend Nathaniel, and he says, I found it. I found the guy. He has, that, he has that moment like, I've been binge-watching the West Wing, so forgive me. <laughs> he, he has that moment that Josh Lyman has. And he shows up at Sam Seaborn's office with the look on his face. I found my guy. I found the guy that can be president of the United States. Come with me. Help elect him. And, and Philip looks at his friend Nathaniel with that look. I found the king of Israel. Let's go follow him. And Nathaniel goes, and he's from where? From Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. By the way, I once heard this sermon preached and somebody said nothing good comes from Riverside in that sermon, but I don't believe that anymore. Nathaniel's skepticism creates an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus affirms him, and Nathanael asks questions, 
And Jesus makes an observation, and that leads to a confession of faith from Nathaniel. There is this conversation that Jesus has with this skeptic that turns from skepticism to confession of faith. And Jesus makes a proclamation and a prediction. Oh, Nathaniel, you're going to see a lot more. There's much more yet to come. The story of God's gifts, the the story of God giving us his good gifts, is a story that we prosperous North Americans think of in terms of the dividend payments that we get from God that we richly deserve. We don't think of the moments of skepticism and judgment, of doubt and question. And so this morning, I want to take some time for us to have a conversation. And I have some questions for us to think about. (coughs) These spiritual encounters are not the spiritual encounters that we usually expect. There's, along with promise and hope, there's skepticism and judgment. And they're interlaced in this story. You can't You can't gloss over the message of judgment against Eli. You can't put varnish over Nathaniel's skepticism. What role does skepticism and judgment play in your spiritual journey? What role does it play in my spiritual journey? Where does skepticism and judgment shape our walk. Second question is to realize that sight, vision, plays an important role in these stories. Eli's failing eyesight is a metaphor for Israel's spiritual condition and and Jesus sees Nathanael under a fig tree and that leads to a confession of faith. We had a president once who said, I'm not real big on the vision thing. Well, how does the vision thing affect your spiritual journey? Are you an inbox Christian, take it as it comes? Or is there a destination in mind? Are we headed somewhere? The four servants of God in these stories, Philip, Nathaniel, Eli, and Samuel, each hear a word from God and respond differently. What are you listening for God to say to you? What do you need to hear? What do you hope to hear? And what is the gift of God to each of the main characters in these stories? What is is the gift that Samuel receives? What is the gift that Eli receives? the gift that Nathaniel and Philip receive, and and what is the gift that you need? I'm going to be a good old-fashioned Quaker at this point. I'm going to be quiet and let you reflect on those questions. And if you feel like saying something to the gathered body about that, now's your chance. Go from here with God's gifts, the gift of skepticism, 
gift of judgment, the gift of promise, the gift of hope, and the most greatest gift of all, the gift of love. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen.